Today we begin our Advent sermon series entitled Waiting for God. Our scripture lesson comes from the prophet Isaiah. The people in the time of Isaiah did not like waiting. Listen to their honest emotions shared with God. Oh, that you wonder, tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindless brushwood and fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that did not expect you, came down the mountains, quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen, and any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you and your ways, but you were angry and you, we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. He, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. When you're five years old, you count the number of sleeps till Christmas. And you count the number of minutes until you arrive at your cousin's house. Are we there yet? When you're 25 years old, you cannot believe how slow the Wi-Fi is at your grandmother's house. It takes forever to download the latest movie. When you're 50, you wait at the airport for your daughter to come home for Christmas. You track the plane's landing and you calculate how long it will take for it to get to the gate and where she might be seated on the plane until she steps off and you can see her face and embrace her. When you're 75, you sit by the phone, I mean the landline, waiting for the doctor to call with the results of the biopsy each minute feels like three hours. No one likes to wait. Waiting is frustrating. Waiting is boring. Last week, I stopped in. It was even during a Chiefs game. I stopped in to Walgreens to fill a script, and there were 12 people in line, and I couldn't wait. And so I left. Our sermon series is called Waiting for God. Now, as we were working on the promotional materials for this sermon series, some colleagues were gathered around somebody's desk in the office, and we were looking at, you know, how to explain this. And one person said, I don't really like that line right there. And I said, oh, hmm, let's change that. What do you not like about it? And she said, well, actually, I don't like the whole title, Waiting for God. Let's change it to Celebrating God. I mean, no one likes to wait. 
She had a good point, I thought. Waiting is no fun. And yet, the, the word wait appears 183 times in the Bible. For example, Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And even in those stories where the word wait does not appear, the Bible tells us over and over and over again how individuals and families and communities waited for God. Sarah waiting until she was geriatric to finally become a mother. Zechariah waited so long to become a father that he was dumbfounded when it finally happened. And today's scripture lesson from Isaiah tells us the story about how this group of people living about 500 years before the time of Jesus waited for 70 years for God to finally restore their fortunes. They are sick and tired of living in exiles over there in the foreign land. They are frustrated that their whole spiritual foundation, the temple in Jerusalem, is now lying in rubble. And so they shout out to God, sick and tired of waiting. They shout, tear open the heavens and come down. The ancient people longed for God to intervene and fix the mess that life had become, God must have felt as absent to those ancient people as God feels this very morning to our brothers and sisters living in Israel and Palestine, watching the bombs fall and hearing the horrific stories that the hostages tell. Why does God sometimes appear so silent, so hidden in frustration? They cry out to God, come on, God, do something. But the prophet Isaiah counsels them, wait. No eye has seen any God besides our God who works for those who wait for God. A similar word comes in the New Testament some 500 years later when the disciples are lamenting that this one named Jesus whom they had loved is no longer going to be with them. They had seen him feed the masses, work the miracles, heal the, the sick and restore sight to the blind. And they had seen him die on a cross and raise up to new life. And now Jesus is with them face to face in the book of Acts, and he is about to ascend, and he gives them final instructions. Do you know what he says? Wait. Wait. Jesus ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father to be revealed. Sometimes, though, waiting for God seems intolerable. Can't God just tear open the heavens and come down right now? Or does something significant happen while we wait? Joanne Robinson was the youngest of 12 children. She was born in 1912 into an African-American family, and she was the first in her entire family to go to college. She not only finished college, she earned a master's degree and became an English professor. And during her free time, she was an active member of the Dexter Avenue Church in Montgomery, Alabama, and she also spent some of her free time participating in a women's organization that worked to register voters. In 1949, 
Joanne sat down on a bus in Montgomery in the section of the bus that was labeled whites only. And the bus driver was so furious with her that he verbally accosted her and she became so afraid that this might turn into a physical situation that she just got off the bus. But she went back to her women's group and they organized a little boycott of the bus system in Montgomery and they got those bus companies to agree that the bus drivers would be more courteous and that they would stop with the same frequency in the black neighborhoods that they stopped in the white neighborhoods. It really wasn't much. And Joanne's friends explained to her that this was the way life was in Montgomery and she better get used to it. But six years later, Rosa Parks sat down in the section of the bus marked for people who were white. And that night, Joanne stayed up all night long. She didn't sleep a wink. She mimeographed 35,000 leaflets to begin the bus boycott that would become the pivot point in the civil rights movement in this land. I wonder if Joanne ever cried out to God. <sighs> tear open the heavens and come down. But for six years, Joanne waited, and when the time was right, the world shifted. What happens while we wait? Is waiting simply a waste of time? Is waiting a form of passivity, a way to just give up and wait for God to rescue us, as does a Superman who swooshes in at just the right moment to save us? The passage from Isaiah laments that God seems too far away, too hidden, and the people are growing weary with all this waiting. We are fading like a leaf, said the text. We are worn out, God, or we would put it today, we are done. And then comes the turning point in the text. Yet, yet, oh God, you are the potter, we are the clay. We are all the work of your hands. Suddenly the tone of Isaiah shifts. Even as we wait, God is shaping us and molding us, remaking us like a potter sitting at the spinning wheel, delicately pressing together thumb and forefinger to smooth the edge. God is sculpting our lives like a parent caressing a child with tender hands. So God is embracing humanity. God is smelling our hair and speaking gentle words of hope into our ears. I was with you in the past. I will be with you in the future. And I'm here with you now. Our lives churches, our society, humanity, we are malleable like clay. God looks into humanity's eye and says, you can become someone new. In 1979, a pile of journals were discovered and published, a pile of journals written by a young girl during World War II. Her name was Eddie, Eddie Halissam, and she recounted what it was like for her growing up as a young woman in German-occupied Holland. She waited and waited and waited for peace to come, 
but it did not calm. She grieved the destruction of the beautiful neighborhoods of Amsterdam, and Eddie wrote this in her journal. She said, the jasmine behind my house has been completely ruined by the rains and the storms of the last few days, but somewhere inside of me, the jasmine continues to blossom undisturbed, and it spreads its scent around the house in which you dwell, O oh God. You can see, I look after you, God. I bring you not only my tears and my forebodings on this stormy Sunday morning, I even bring you scented jasmine. I shall try to make you at home always. I love this. I love this image because life we know all around Eddie was crumbling and the world appeared completely hopeless and yet the scented jasmine grew inside of her and she continued to reach out and make a home for God within her own life. Perhaps it is this God who comes in the season of Advent, not the God who tears open the heavens and comes down from on high, but the God who rises up within the depths of our own souls. In his recent book, Andrew Root talks about the need for communities, churches like us, to wait for God. Andrew Root will be here at our church in February talking about this very subject. He suggests that church Folks like us have spent the last generation or two trying to innovate so that we could save churches. You know, we create new ministries, we try new things, new music, new programs, new styles of worship. Maybe, says Root, none of that matters. Maybe what matters is waiting for God. And waiting for God, he insists, is not passive. It is not about giving up, waiting. It's to surrender to God, to trust God, to enter into relationship with God, to place our whole hope in God, to believe that the God who was with us yesterday and will be with us tomorrow is with us right now. You are the potter. I am the clay. We wait. What do you think would happen if you and I spent the next several weeks of Advent waiting for God? What if we slowed down? What if we erased a couple of things from the calendar and waited spiritually? What if we paid very close attention to the people around us? What if we paid attention to the scent of jasmine within each of us? What if we waited with as much eagerness as we wait for the next Amazon package to be delivered to wait for the Holy Spirit to come to us? What do you think that kind of waiting would actually look like? Last summer, I met Isabella, and she reminded me a bit of what it means to wait. Isabella was born in Tanzania with multiple intellectual disabilities. And let me just say that if you are going to have multiple intellectual disabilities, Tanzania is not where you would want to be born because there are no services. But 
Isabella was one of the lucky ones. She graduated at age 20 from this church-based program that was designed to teach young teenage men and women the life skills, the basic job skills that they would need to be not just in society, but contributors to society. Two staff members of this program, this church-based program to teach job skills to intellectually disabled teenagers, put me in the car with them and they drove me out into the rural areas outside this city. We went to Isabella's home to meet her and on this long drive out to her home, I kept wondering why are we driving all the way out here to see a graduate of this program? But when we got there, Isabella came out and she pulled out some plastic rickety chairs and she told us about her work, about how the job skills that she had learned are now being put to use as she's raising chickens and selling them and contributing to the household income. And as she's now cooking and cleaning in the house so that her parents can go out and work, she laughed, she giggled, she beamed with joy, she had a sense of strong self-esteem and pride even that she was a contributor. And then she began to ask, tell me about, she asked about all the students in the program who were still there, about all the staff, how is so-and-so doing, give her my best. And she leaned back in her plastic chair and her eyes sparkled. And then I realized why we had come all this way. It was for us to remember that her success was not just about job skills. It was about relationships. She had felt so loved by all the staff and volunteers. This woman on the margins of society, poor, intellectually challenged, beamed with joy. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, God lets himself be pushed out of the world onto a cross. He is weak and powerless in the world, and that is precisely the way, the only way in which God is with us and helps us. This God upon whom we wait is the one who comes to us in relationship, in vulnerability, in intimacy. God arrives when heaven is torn and a baby is born in a stable. That is the God upon whom we wait.